Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team it is that time of the week once again welcome inside the hot stove report aaron goldsmith and gary hill g man it's great to see you how are you i'm doing great it's great to see you as well it's great to be back again it certainly is a wonderful show lined up for us and our listeners tonight tell us who we have i am really excited about this one we have anthony castrovince coming up he's an mlb writer really good one and i think mariner fans will really enjoy some of the things he's written this off season so we'll talk about that and much more Joey Gerber, Mariners pitcher, very entertaining guy, a conversation coming up that people really enjoy. And Shannon Dreyer is going to join us as well. We're going to talk some Baseball America Top 100, which is also great news for the Mariners. Yeah, great news on the prospect front for the Mariners, no surprise. And we begin the program tonight with uh, something that we have never done on the Hot Stove Report. We are joined by not one, but two members of the Mariners organization and two key ones at that. We're joined by Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth, fresh off his first season in the bigs leagues with the Mariners and also Mariners starting pitcher Justice Sheffield. Justice joining us from his home in Tennessee. Meanwhile, Pete Woodworth from his home in Florida. Um, Both you guys, we thank you for joining us tonight. First, let's start with uh, Pete. Uh, How are you and and how's the new year treating you so far? Can't complain. So far, so good. We just had uh, had our our one-year-old birthday party this past weekend. so uh, as I've heard, it's, it's, all, uh, it's all uphill from here. Um, it's, it's only going to get more fun. So uh, other than that, man, Florida, Florida's treating us well, um, but we are, uh, we're getting ready to pack it up and, and head out to Arizona here in uh, two weeks. I can imagine, man. Justice, what's the, what's the offseason been like for you so far? It's been good, uh, real good, actually. Um, been kind of back home, just uh, we're kind of quarantining still here. Uh, you know, the COVID's kind of hit. Uh, kind of bad in Tennessee. So um, just been really just laying low, uh, chilling with the family, getting my workouts in and, and, and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been good, but real chill, laid back. In, in the background, you have a couple of, a few actually framed jerseys and a couple are from your high school days in, in Tullahoma, Tennessee. When, now, in normal times, when you can walk and roam the town freely, I mean, when you walk around Tullahoma, man, like you got to be a big deal, right? When Justice <laughs> Sheffield walks into a restaurant, I mean, what, what's the vibe like for Justice in his hometown? Oh, uh, yeah. People definitely, uh, they know uh, they know me and my family pretty well around here. Uh, but it's good. We get treated We get treated well. Sometimes we get free food or, you know, <laughs> things like that. So uh, it comes with some good benefits. But, uh, you know, definitely you can't uh, uh, be seen out doing anything kind of crazy or stupid because you, you'll be seen. Is Tullahoma known for a certain food? Like, is there a, like a best dish in Tullahoma? Nah, 
I wouldn't say a best dish, but there's a lot of like hole in the wall mom and pop uh, stores. So uh, they make the best food in my opinion. So what does your off season look like in terms of workout, getting ready for the season? Well, early on, I was uh, lifting heavy. I started throwing earlier this year just because mm-hmm. of the shortened season. Um, I felt like I wasn't as tired as I would be in the full season. Um, so I started throwing earlier, um, stretching it out while I'm tossing. And uh, working out-wise, I was lifting heavy, uh, doing a lot of lower body uh, heavy lifts. And then uh, as I started getting on the mound, I kind of cut down the lifts and started working on more plyo work, uh, box jumps, uh, stretching and uh, core work, things like that. Who are your throwing partners there? Uh, my brother. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's uh, with the Rockies now. Actually, he was Rule 5 last year, uh, this past year. So uh, he's getting ready to uh, attack that goal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy having him here in the offseason, easy to throw with. And, uh, you know, I got some catchers from back in the day that can still handle it. So uh, it's been good. You know, Pete, you mentioned a moment ago uh, you're, you're now one-year-old. Uh, people would have a really hard time grasping what that season in 2020 was like for you in particular. There is so much going on for you personally and professionally, your first year as a big league pitching coach, but from a personal side of things, your family's back home in Florida. You've got a little baby in the home and you're as, as far away as you possibly can be from the loves of your life. Uh, what has it been like for you to just get back home, be back with your family and have as best as we can right now as a society, have a sense of normalcy? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how far away Seattle was. Um, so, uh, now that, now that we know that I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to come with me this year, but, uh, uh, it was, it was great to get back home. Um, and I, more than any other off season, I feel like I've really spent, as much time as I can with, with my wife and, and kid. Um, but, you know, during the season, there was a shoot, even from spring training uh, at the beginning of the year, like there was a lot of unknowns. There was a lot of uncertainties. There was a lot of new experiences. Um, so it, it definitely kept me occupied. Um, there, there was times where it was tough, but for the most part, um, every day was a, was a new challenge. Um, Except for the days that chef bitch, those were easy days. <laughs> I do enjoy the, um, the, the chef emoji and, and Pete is fairly, a fairly active guy on, on social media on, on Twitter in particular. And there, you know, there aren't many pitching coaches out there, uh, hip enough chef to be retweeting the uh, chef emoji after one of their young pupils goes out and, and throws up a quality start. The dynamic between the two of you is I, I think special to say the least simply because of the time that you guys have put in together going back to your time in the Texas league is both of you have you know, made a pretty quick ascent from the minors up, up to the majors in the grand scheme of things. But chef, I'd love to hear you just kind of talk about your relationship with, with Pete and, and how far it's coming o- over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, uh, we, we hit it off together uh, pretty quick and easy. Uh, from the first day I went down to Arkansas, you know, he sat me in the, in the office and we just kind of, you know, laid it down real quick and um, talked about what I wanted and, you know, from then on, I knew that he was going to be a guy that I was going to be able to trust just because of uh, the, the type of person he was, a uh, real people person. You know, he felt like one of the guys, like a, like a teammate pretty much. So 
Um, you know, I knew that he was going to be there for me. And, you know, he's helped me tremendously, uh, not on the field, but also off just, uh, you know, staying focused, staying on, uh, on task and doing what I need to do. Um, you know, especially with, uh, going on the field, he, he taught me the importance of throwing program, you know, locking it in and, um, you know, it's been, it's been good, but most of most time, uh, you know, me and Woody, we always just jab at each other and, and mess around with each other. So uh, he's, a, he's a good person to uh, lay back and just kick it with. You know, Pete, we were talking to Anthony Masevich last week, and it's amazing to think about your journey because you have ascended with a bunch of guys you're with right now, Justice Sheffield and Masevich and a whole bunch of guys. What does it mean to you to not only get to the major league level, but do it with guys you've been with for so long? It was really cool. Um and, and looking back, I feel like, like Chef and I have been, you know, together for four or five years, but it really wasn't that long ago that, that, you know, he showed up in, in Arkansas and, and we kind of started this journey, but um, yeah, guys like Masevich, um, Justin Dunn, Art Warren, Joey Gerber, uh, shoot, there's a, there's a ton of them um, and there's more on the way, but um, it, it's, I imagine it's similar for, for them when they look around in the clubhouse and see guys that they came up with, with Kalu and, and Evan White, um, just to have that comfortability, um, you know, kind of like what, what Chef said, like, know that, like, you, you're, you got your boys with you. It's, it, uh, it, it makes a lot more fun to come to the ballpark. Um, but it's, it's special just because I know where they were, um, the struggles they had in the minor leagues, the, the grind of the minor league, the, uh, you know, that, that light at the end of the tunnel. So to see them, you know, step, step over the white lines with, uh, with the Mariners Jersey on is, is exciting every single time. It's a real treat for us right now in the hot stove report. We're joined by Mariners pitching coach, Pete Woodworth and Mariners starting pitcher, Justice Sheffield. It's amazing how many times Gary and I, when, when talking to players and when they reference their position coaches, like the player needs to be able to trust that the coach has his best interest in mind and how that's, that's a hard line of credit for a player to build up with a coach. How, how do you go about building that with any player, whether a guy like justice who you've worked with for a long time or a guy who maybe, you know, Jerry signs as a free agent this winter. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's different for, for every individual guy, but um, I don't know, just taking like chef for, for example, um, I think where it, where it started was figuring out like, what, what do you really want chef? Like, how do you want this to play out? Um, so once you kind of know what, what chef wants, what he wants his career to look like, what he wants this year to look like, what he wants his stuff to look like, what he wants, you know, bullpens, everything, what's the goal? What's the path? Um, where, where's that destination going? Then it's, it's just about kind of sitting in the passenger seat and just reminding them like, Hey, we got to get off here. Um, Hey, that light's turning red. Um, and just keeping them focused on that, on that journey, on that path. Um, and I think the more you, you remind them and the more you keep them, you know, um, I guess online, um, towards that, that, that destination. Uh, I think that's where the trust comes in. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, every, everybody's different. Um, but once, once we're both on the same page, then we can both go together. Um, and I think that makes it a lot more, uh, not just enjoyable, but, um, we're both going to get better 
as as we go along and you do that with 13 15 pitchers you do that with 35 guys on a roster uh you're gonna reach that destination when we come back we've got more with mariners pitching coach pete woodworth and mariners starting pitcher justice sheffield plenty more to come on the hot stove report sheffield trying to strike out the side see what he goes to here twists deals Swing and a miss. A helpless cut by Van Meter. A vicious slider in the dirt. Down he goes. And Sheffield strikes out the side. A dominant inning for Justice Sheffield. Down go the Diamondbacks. And the Mariners take a 7-2 lead to the seventh. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined by Justice Sheffield and Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Guys, uh, we are very excited, and the excitement builds as we talk to more and more of your counterparts on this program week in and week out leading into spring training about the direction the Mariners organization is going. We, we got a great glimpse of it in 2020, with a lot of hardware for the Mariners that they brought home. As we all know, Gold Gloves, a Rookie of the Year award as well. Uh, Justice, you've been in the organization long enough now to be around these guys, to know what they're made of, and to see kind of what's happening when, if you were to run into somebody in Telahoma and they were saying, Hey, justice, what's going on with the Seattle Mariners? I mean, what is your spiel as to what you think is coming down the pike in the short term and kind of the five-year plan for what the Mariners are looking like right now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just in the past, you know, two years that I've been with the Mariners, just, and through my eyes, seeing the the changes, um, the differences of, you know, guys that are getting to the big league that I've played with and how quickly they're being able to adjust to the league and and um, and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, honestly. And the amount of guys that we still have coming up um, that I still haven't even got to see play, but I've heard all these things about, um, you know, I know that those guys are going to come in and, and give it their all and, and – uh, want the best for the team. And I feel like that's what it's going to take. Um, you know, we're going to have to not have any egos, any big egos, things like that. And, um, you know, guys just kind of uh, fit in and align with us. And that's kind of uh, what we've always said um, past couple of years. And uh, that, that works. I feel like um, guys come in, give it their all, selfishly uh, do what they need to do um, on their own. And then that'll eventually, uh, you know, turn into team wins and, and, uh, team celebrations, things like that. So, And what do you have a unique perspective in that? Obviously you're working with the guys that are up here now, but you've seen a number of those guys we've been talking about for the past couple of years and you haven't seen them all, but you've seen a number of them that we expect to be here in the near future as well. Yeah. The, uh, the, the flood is coming. Um, we've, we've kind of been, been building the, the foundation in, in the player development arena um in the minor leagues these past four or five years um and now you know we're starting to see the the players that we've drafted you know taking over that that mold and and building on top of that and uh there's there's a ton more to come um and I I can't speak from the from the hitting side but from the pitching side um Max Wiener and and Trent Blank have have created a, a a program that is just developing arms um and it's not just the George Kirby's and, and Logan Gilbert and Emerson Hancock's like, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a whole tribe full of them that, uh, that continue to get better. And uh, it's going to be interesting these next couple of years, because 
the the competition's only going to get to get higher. Um, the, I'm, I'm excited for the spring training just to see, uh, you know, the the development that we've had, especially on the pitching side, come through, and uh, guys get to go out there and kind of show us what they got. Pete Woodworth, Mariners pitching coach, and Justice Sheffield, our guests on the Hot Stove Report. Guys, it was uh, fascinating. Uh, talking with uh, Marco Gonzalez last week on the program. Uh, you know, Marco's been here uh, among the longest tenured Mariners that, that the club currently has, and uh, without question is one of the great leaders within the club. You know that better than I do. And Justice, he was basically telling us about the culture, which has now the, the wet cement has started to harden on the culture with the Mariners and specifically on the pitching side of things. And it, he made it sound like justice there, there wasn't so much that had to be said anymore about what's expected and the work ethic that is demanded by the coaches and by one another as players and that it's seen and that the players by and large handle it themselves. And not all the time does that need to be talked about because it's just on display in front of your eyes can you walk us through what it has been like for you as a, one of the newer uh, Mariners, even though you, you did have a, a full season of starts last year, an abbreviated season, what it's been like for you to come in, get a feel for that culture, and now be one of the guys who is helping to implement it? Yeah. Uh, you know, it started with Marco. Uh, I'm going to go just base it off just the starters because um, that's who I'm with every day in my work groups and things like that. Uh, dude, Marco, I can't tell you enough, like, the leadership qualities that he has and, and the way he can pull together a group of, of guys. Um, like I said, especially the starters, uh, at the beginning of the year, he, he was kind of like, he laid it down, but not really because we already kind of, everyone already knew what was expected of him and what we needed to do. But it was along the lines of luck. We're in this to, together. We're a family. We're going to fight together. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to go out here and, and whoop up on some teams and we're going to take some losses together. But, uh, you know, I felt like, just those six group of guys uh, in that, in that um, rotation. Um, and we had some guys put, go in and out, you know, uh, Kendall come in the, in the rotation and then go out in the bullpen, uh, Taiwan left uh, guys like that. But uh, I felt like Marco made sure that that group never butt heads or, or, or fell apart. It was always just, we were glued together. We knew what we wanted to do. We had one goal and it was easy. Um, you know, it's not like we were out there trying every day to be good teammates or do what we do. No, it was just like, we just, it just, it gelled like that. It, it just worked out like that. So, uh, you know, Marco, he's, he's, he's a guy that I look up to and, you know, that I'm glad to of run into in, in my time in my career right now. So, um, you know, all props to him and, you know, like I said, we just got to go out and do it together. It felt like you really established yourself last year. Are you approaching this upcoming year any differently? Does it feel different going into this year? I don't think so. Uh, I still want to keep my head down and keep pushing. Uh, I feel like that's just the type of player I am. Uh, just keep my head down and, and give it all I got every time for my team. And that's, that's, what I, that's what I love. I love the game to go out there and compete and, and try and win and, and get the win today for my team. Like, I love that. That's my favorite feeling ever. But, uh, no, nah, I feel like there's no difference. I'm not going to walk in like a big, you know, bet or guy that played in the show last year. Like, it's just – that ain't it. I feel like I'm just going to go in and get my work in and, and leave it at that. Pete, your, your first year as a big league pitching coach, I know I joked at the time when we last spoke – 
Uh, nobody saw your face the entire year. Uh, <laughs> you were the, you were the masked man as everybody else was with uh, all your mountain visits. We never actually saw you, uh, but what a bizarre way to break into your big league coaching career. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway and the differences between doing this in the Texas league and doing this in the American league West? Um, I think the, one of the biggest takeaways was that there wasn't a huge difference. Um, I think we, we put too much emphasis, um, and, and I think players do as well that, uh, they have to do more. They have to be better. They have to be perfect. They have to work, you know, 20 times harder. They have to study 50, you know, when it, when it was all over, I kind of looked back at it and saw that it was the same 60 feet, six inches. Every day we had throwing program. Every day we had bullpens. Every day we had meetings. It was the same game. It was the same development. Um, you know, we, we, we took a plane instead of a bus. Um, <laughs> uh, the stadiums were a little nicer than. than <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, it, it was the same game. And, um, you know, kind of like we touched on earlier, it was a lot of the same players. So, um, it, it doesn't matter whether, whether you're Marco or, or chef or a, a guy who's making his, his debut. Um, they're all, they're all pitchers. They're either right-handed or they're left-handed. Um, but they want to be better. They want to be the best that they can be. Um, and I don't, I didn't really think that changed from, from Texas to Seattle. We have a few minutes left with Justice Sheffield and Mariners pitching coach, Pete Woodworth. Justice, let's, uh, since your pitching coach is, is on the line with us, I think, I think we have to dive in and get a, a little bit in the weeds into your repertoire last year and some of the things that we saw. Your slider, Justice, I mean, it, by any number of measurements, I think you can make the case it in one year's time, it became one of the better pitches of any starting pitcher, especially in the American League. Uh, when you look at the progression that that pitch has had, especially in your time, I'm guessing, since coming to Seattle and what you've been able to make it into uh, last year and where it even maybe can go from here, I mean, when you throw that pitch, what does it feel like to throw that nasty of a pitch to a guy? Sometimes, it's, honestly, <laughs> sometimes it's like, Whatever, like I've, I've I've done it, you know. I, just, I, I feel like it's just like a slider to me. It's just a normal slider, but then sometimes I'll surprise myself and I'll be like, "Dang, like, oh, he ain't hitting that, ain't no way." <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, um, you know, I've, I feel like I've always had a pretty decent slider. It's just the point of learning how to throw it in the zone and keep the same shape. Um, and just literally throw it aggressively in the strike zone. That's that's kind of what he knows. I say it in my bullpens every time, land a slider aggressively in the strike zone. And, you know, Woody will get on to me sometimes if he's like, if I'm like, oh, I'm just going to try and land it or I'm just going to try and flip one in there. He's like, no, what, like, what are you talking about? You're going to throw it aggressively in the zone. Like, we're not about to just land pitches or just softly do it. So, uh, but no, I, I just feel like I've always had that pitch in, in my back pocket. Woody, t tell us in, in pitching coach speak, if you can break it into everyday vernacular, when, when Justice is talking about throwing it aggressively in the zone versus just landing it or flipping it in there, what are the differences here? Uh, intent? Um, I don't know. There, there are some days where it is on another level. Um, 
and you, you see it in the bullpen and it'll, it just has a little extra bite and you just know that he's going to make some guys look a little silly that day. Um, but I don't know when he just throws that thing with, with intent. I think that's, that's probably one of the, the main uh, vernaculars we use. Just throw that thing. Uh, <laughs> can we, can we hear it one more time? Throw that thing. <laughs> Man, usually the next pitch is nasty too. <laughs> Justice, tell us about the changeup, man. The the changeup is something that uh, we saw uh, a, a little bit more uh, last year than we did the year before. Uh, it it's, would appear as though it's a pitch that is uh, that you're growing in confidence with. It's really. Uh, a very important pitch for you to be able to throw. Uh, tell us your feelings on on how that pitch has come along and, and the future of it for you. Yeah, I feel like uh, that changeup was one of the main reasons why I had uh, some success last year. Uh, just being able to keep the hitters off balance. Uh, I think it was a reason why I was able to go through the lineup more than twice, uh, um, sometimes three, four times. Uh, you know, I think it's just it, the deeper in the game, I can – I can just use that pitch and lean on that if I'm behind in the count or uh, maybe I need a quick ground ball out or, you know, run on first, need a double play, something like that. It's just one of those pitches I can just go to. And, you know, I'm consistently throwing it consistently. Um, right now I'm trying to kill some speed off of it. Um, I feel like the action is good on it. Uh, I feel like it's just a little bit too hard. Uh, I threw it a little bit too hard last year. But I feel like if I can kill some speed on it, um, which I feel like it, right now I, I'm good with it. Um, just got to keep throwing it. But I feel like it be uh, could be a plus pitch uh, in the future for myself to be able to strike some guys out going with that spider. So, Well, both of you gentlemen, we, we can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, Pete, I'll start with you. Thank you so much. We know you've got a, uh, a young and uh, burgeoning household there in Florida, and we appreciate you taking a few moments away from the family. It's great to talk with you, Pete. No problem. Can't uh, can't wait to do this in person here soon. Us too, Justice. Uh, we we know you got a hole in the wall restaurant to get to, and a, a, good, a good dinner coming your way tonight. Uh, we wish we could join you, but it's, it's great seeing you, man. It's great to see that smile, and uh, we we can't wait to see you in that uh, Arizona sunshine sometime soon. Yeah, can't wait to see y'all. Our thanks once again to Pete Woodworth and Justice Sheffield. We've got more to come on the Hot Stove Report when we return. MLB.com writer Anthony Castrovince. Great things he's written about the Mariners this winter. He joins us right after this. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. As we're joined now by Anthony Castro-Vince, writer for MLB.com, kind enough to join us from his home in Cleveland. Anthony, it's great to have you on the program. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Guys, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? Are we allowed? I think it might be past the, uh, the Happy <laughs> no, New Year. No, no, no. Happy there's... New Year all the same. <laughs> no, it's a, this is a very polite show. We'll, uh, we, we, we wish <laughs> okay, it all the way we'll into spring it. training, even. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we, we earned the new year, so we're yeah, going to it. Yeah, no matter if it's similar or different or somewhere in between. Hey, uh, <laughs> Anthony, you have written a, a lot of great pieces, especially as of late for MLB.com, as uh, we're all kind of waiting for things to get fired up for spring training. And you wrote something that will make uh, many Mariners fans very happy. Uh, you titled it the way too early predictions uh, for the upcoming season. I, I don't think they're too early at all. I think they were right on time. Uh, with that in mind, Anthony, you predicted that uh, the Mariners would be uh, winning the division in 2021. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, as you kind of gave yourself a way to slip through the back door when writing it, which I understand it. Um, but obviously there's at least something – 
if to say the least, intriguing to you about the Mariners this season. Can you explain to us uh, what that is? There is. I mean, it works in two ways. Um, you know, it, it certainly might be uh, putting the cart ahead of the horse. Let's acknowledge that. But um, when you do look around the American League West, there's just significant question marks up and down that division. And I, I wouldn't feel confident picking any of those clubs right now. Um, you know, the Mariners included, because the Mariners obviously have a lot of uh, room to grow. But that's a team with, you know, they're young players. They've really rebuilt their farm system in a good way in the last few years. And their prospects are getting close to the big leagues. Um, it's a team that's turning over pretty quickly. Uh, the Jared Kalenic era will hopefully uh, be upon us, you know, before long at, at the big league level here. And it can happen fast. You know, we, we've seen it. It happened with the Braves uh, in the NL East a few years back where all of a sudden they were really good. Uh, and I'm not saying that's, it's the same exact concoction uh, with, with Seattle, but they also have some financial flexibility in a market that's just got a lot of inventory in terms of free agency. So I, I don't know how aggressive they'll be, but that's, that's one of those teams that I think could, you know, maybe be a little more frisky in free agency than, than people outside Seattle maybe give them credit for. Um, and then the other element is just the division itself. And, you know, the Astros are obviously in a major uh, transition period uh right now and you know they, they look a lot different than they did uh you know when they got to the world series most recently in 2019 um the angels have a lot to prove when it comes to putting a pitching staff together and they're they're certainly trying to do so but um you know they're already their budget is is pretty large as it is uh they're still paying albert pools for pools for another year the mike trout contract the anthony rendon contract so um, you know, it, they could do a splurge for a Trevor Bauer, but it, it could compromise their uh, efforts with the rest of the pitching staff, which I think needs multiple pieces. So they're, they're a big question. And the A's, who, you know, I, if it makes Mariners feel, fans feel good, I did pick the A's uh, to win the division last year and, hmm. uh, you know, it turned out to be right about that. But they, they're going to look a lot different as well. We you know the budget constraints there, and they've got, you know, they had 10 guys uh, from that team reach free agency. Liam Hendricks already signed with the White Sox. So, it's just a team that's going to look a lot different. So, uh, you know, it would be a lot to ask the Mariners to make that kind of a surge. But I do think when you look at the AL West, it's it's turning over. You know, it's starting to – it's going to take on a different complexion here moving forward. Yeah, how do you think things will look projecting out, not only for next year, but, I don't know, the next three-year window? How do you see this division looking? Yeah, well, I mean, the Mariners are – like I said, when you build it the right way, the way they have, when you do – create a strong farm system and have financial flexibility to go with it, you know, it might not be in 2021, but that's certainly a team that, you know, I, I feel pretty bullish on their long-term projection, you know, long-term being, you know, the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas is, is trying to do that as well. They, they tried to make an effort last year. They're moving into a new ballpark. And unfortunately it turned out to be a new ballpark sans fans. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're basically having to, kind of start from scratch a little bit you know they, they have some pieces at the major league level but they strike me as perhaps further away than the mariners um and, and the angels you know it's just it's it's unfortunate the way things have played out there as well where you know when mike trout was performing well above his paycheck uh when he was you know one of the uh best bargains in baseball I mean, the best bargain in baseball they just didn't uh adequately build around him unfortunately uh, now he's paid the way he ought to be. Um, now they're paying Anthony Rendon. And again, that just gets back to, it, it just makes it more difficult when you are a little top heavy like that. Mm. It makes it more difficult to adequately surround those players. And 
you know, their farm system isn't as strong as, as, as perhaps Seattle's. So, you know, um, that, that's, I'm just talking about the teams here who haven't been in the playoffs recently. And those are the three. And I would put the Mariners top in that pecking order, to be honest. Um, and, and the Astros are just, they're, they're going to, you know, there, there's a cost that comes with being good for a while in MLB. And your, your farm system gets rated. Players graduate to the big leagues. You trade guys to augment the big league club. Uh, in their case, you know, they were, they were hit hard in the draft uh, because of their 2017 infractions. So, um, and then Oakland, it's, you know, we always know the story there. They're, they know how to put a roster together, but they have to do it on the cheap. And there's, there's difficulty that comes with that. So I, I just think the, I think there's a clear avenue for the Mariners to, to take advantage of in these next couple of years. You've watched one of the big stories this offseason unfold with Lindor going to the Mets. Where does that leave Cleveland right now? I know they've flashed a ton of payroll, but as you point out, this is a, a franchise that's been really good for a long time, especially and when you look at what they've done with starting pitching, it's really been magnificent. Is that going to be enough? Are they left with enough at this point? Uh, not at this point. It's just a matter of how do they apply the, the money savings from that deal. You know, they, they saved, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million um, for 2021 in, in trading uh, Lindor and Carrasco. And, um, you know, it's my understanding they do intend to spend a, a good percentage of that, again, in a market with a lot of inventory. So there's there's things they could do. They, they still have a really good young core of, of young pitching. You know, Shane Bieber, the, the reigning Cy Young winner. Uh, Aaron Savali has been really good for them. Uh, Tristan McKenzie came up last year. Jack Plutko has been very good. So they, they have the pieces that still have a, a strong rotation. And this is the lineup has so many question marks. And um, But in doing that trade, you know, they probably had a better offer from the Blue Jays in terms of, you know, upside potential long-term. But the Blue Jays' offer was entirely long-term. It was, it was entirely prospect-oriented, whereas the Indians uh, decided to do a, a deal that was a couple prospects and a couple, you know, big league pieces right now in the infield. So if they, if they spend that money on the outfield and, and, you know, prop the lineup up a little bit, you know, they, they could probably be competitive still. I, I do think the Lindor trade is probably something that should have happened at least a year ago. Mm. Um, you know, when, when his value was higher and anybody can say that, you know, after the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, I would have said that because, um, you know, it's just so difficult when you get one year away from free agency in today's game and you're making somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million in arbitration. It's just harder to, to get a deal done uh, that, that you feel good about and that the fans can feel good about for giving up uh, such an elite talent, but they maintained a high price tag on Lindor last winter and ultimately it wasn't met. And then, you know, they, they just ran into a tough situation there with the pandemic. It really uh, altered the economic factor a lot. Anthony, do you have a personal favorite since you are in town there for the future Cleveland baseball team name? <laughs> I do. I'm, I'm very pro spiders. Um, yes. I, I, I like the history of it. Um, you know, Cleveland, for those who don't know, Cleveland had a national league franchise with the Cleveland spiders and um, they brought the city. It's its first major professional sports championship in 1895. Everybody remembers that one, the, the temple cup champions. Uh, <laughs> um, they also had one of the worst, they, they also had maybe the worst team in major league history in 1899, but that's, that's, that's an ownership issue where back then you could own, you, believe it or not, back then you could own multiple teams and their owner owned multiple teams and basically gave all the good players to the St. Louis team that he owned. So I, I don't, I don't look at that too seriously. Um, and then I even Anthony, found some references. Anthony, they were tw- they were twenty and one thirty four. Anthony, they were twenty <laughs> and one thirty four in eighteen ninety nine. Look at the home road. 
look at the home road splits. They they stopped playing games at home. They started playing their entire season on the road, and again gave away all their best players. So that's that's an aberration that season. But um, and it's interesting because in digging into this, I found some references to the American League team as the Spiders, and, and certain newspapers referred to them as the Spiders. Their names were kind of changing all over the place back then. So there actually is a tie to the American League team as well. I just think it's super marketable. It's got the history. So why not? But it does have, uh, from what I'm told, it has some major legal hurdles in terms of trademark issues and that sort of thing. And and some people just don't like spiders. But um, <laughs> you know, with, with all the uh, with all the suggestions I've heard, that that's the best one to me. Well, they have eliminated a name. They will not be the Cleveland Lindors. We know that for a fact now. <laughs> that's that's for that's for darn sure. Well, that's how they became the Indians in the first place. Right. Was uh, Nap Lajaway, their great second baseman. They were the Cleveland Naps, and then. Um, he went off to Philadelphia, and all of a sudden they needed a new name. And you know, there's this this uh, this farce that it was uh, to honor a, a relatively obscure player from the late 1800s who was on the Spiders, Louis Sacalexis. That's not really why they chose the Indians' name. If you dig into the newspaper reports for that time, it's really just riding the wave of the Boston Braves, the Miracle Braves of 1914. So um, had just won the championship, so they're just kind of uh, trying to <laughs> trying to get some of that mojo. Um, and then five years later, they did win the World Series, and the name stuck ever since. So here we are. He is Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com. More with one of the great writers of the game today when we come back on the Hot Stove Report. Glad you're with us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined once again by MLB.com writer Anthony Castrovince. And it is difficult to find someone in the game these days who is as well-versed on baseball back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, as we were just talking to Anthony about, as they are with the modern version of the game of baseball. Anthony certainly can cover both sectors. He has written a book, A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics, Why War, Whip, Woba, and Other Advanced Sabermetrics Are Essential to Understanding Modern Baseball. It's a fascinating read and a very helpful read. Anthony, what was it that brought you and inspired you to put pen to paper and write this book? Well, part of it was just my own uh, evolution in covering baseball. Um, you know, when I got into it, I like everybody else, I, I would cite home runs and batting average and RBI. And that's the stuff I grew up with and felt comfortable with. Um, and then, you know, as, as the game has evolved, I've evolved along with it. And out of necessity, it helps me better understand the game to understand these numbers and to put things in better context and compare eras. Um, it's just vital. And I know fans roll their eyes because these have really silly names, you know, war and Woba and whip and what, whatnot. Um, it, it could be really hard to embrace. And I don't think there's a lot out there that was a, a really good, easy explainer to the casual fan or the average fan uh, to really grasp. Uh, sometimes it was really talking down to people and I didn't want to do that. I, so I, I wanted to write a book that was, you know, really relatable and fun and easy, just an easy read. And, you know, I, I hope I pulled it off because it, it's not easy because, you know, these, these numbers are so wonky, but um, I, I tried to make it as relatable as possible and, and kind of demystify uh, these terms because I, I think that if you do understand them, I think you can enjoy modern baseball a lot better. And I, I do think you'd have a lot of fun with it too. Um, it, it's so impossible to look at a 300 average today versus a 300 average you know, in, in the 1950s, it's just two very different games. So we have stats now that, that can really contextualize things and, and put players in perspective to what the rest of the league was doing. We're obviously in a low batting average era right now. We're in a high home run era right now. Um, so, you know, a home run count or a batting average doesn't necessarily uh, equate to what you think in your mind. I mean, there's guys who have 15, 20 home runs who are 
you know, not that great. <laughs> this is kind of the, mm. the era we're in. Um, so it helps to have these, these plus stats, these contact stats that uh, give you a better idea of how guys are performing relative to the league average. I think that's the key to the whole thing. I love this concept because it's something that we have to think about all the time on the radio side of things, talking about advancements and the type yeah. of fans we're talking to all the time. So I I think this book is tremendously valuable. So if you have a fan that comes up to you and says, okay, give me the most important position player number. What is the most important offensive number in the game? Do you have an answer? What's your favorite? Yeah, for me it would be either OPS plus or weighted runs created plus. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say those two is they're, they're, they're very similar. Um, it's just that one is available at baseball reference and one is available at fangrass.com. Um, so it's just a matter of whatever site you, if you Google a player's name, you'll usually, usually his baseball reference page will be one of the first links there. So sometimes that's the easier one to find. So, I mean, that, that's what I want to do. If I, if, Hey, what kind of season did, uh, you know, did Kyle Lewis have, I'll, I want to look at his OPS plus. I want to see how he did relative to the league average. So, for those who don't know and haven't read the book yet, uh, 100 is league average. Okay, so that's that's pretty easy to understand. Where you know 100 is, is the average in the league. Kyle Lewis last year had a 126 OPS plus. That means he was 26 percent better than the league average. So now I have an idea, and now I can compare him to other players pretty easily. I can just look at those OPS plus. That's what I do. And obviously, wins above replacement has become really popular and a, almost a crutch for some writers and analysts and whatnot. Um, it has its flaws. It has its weaknesses. It also has its strengths. Um, but if you want to know just the total, the total package, including the defense and the base running, you know, it's the best we've got in, in terms of one number that, that's going to tell you all those things. Yeah, we are very pro WRC plus and OPS plus uh, for yeah. many of the reasons you just listed. Just to, as wonky as they look, it's really very simplistic once you get a, a, a sense of it. Anthony. I, I do have to, since, you know, Gary got to go first and and, and ask you your favorite, which means that I'm left, I have to be the bad guy. <laughs> I, I, I do want to know, what stat is it that when you flip on a game on TV or on the radio and you hear one of one of us talking about it or you read about it, that you just go, man, can somebody just put this stat to bed forever? <laughs> um, honestly, for me, I mean, th- there's there's – several you could answer with i don't get quite as fired up about this stuff as, as some of the you know the, the nerds out there so to speak but obviously rbi has its flaws batting average has its flaws wins definitely has its flaws and and there's you know it's a really silly stat in terms of how we tabulate wins and it doesn't tell you much anymore but honestly i think my answer might be the error now and fielding mm-hmm. percentage just because it's just you know i i've been in many press boxes i see how games get scored and you know, uh, an error in, uh, in, 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 you know, T-Mobile Park one night is not necessarily an error in Oakland Coliseum the next. It's two different scores, and they're sitting up in the third or fourth level, and, you know, they, they, they got ketchup stains on their hands. And, yeah, it's just it's not, it's not the best way to judge defense. It's just a terrible way to judge defense. And I point that out in the book. Um, yeah, that was, that was a fun chapter to write because it is pretty crazy what gets called an error, what doesn't. I think, honestly, I'm, I'm almost at the point where just, Everything in play that a guy gets on base is a hit. Just go with that because it's pretty crazy how errors are doled out. Mm. And that that, in, that impacts fielding percentage. It impacts ERA. And it, it impacts all these things in a tremendous way. Uh, we just have better ways to evaluate defense now. And, you know, that's really after the fact with video study and, and now, uh, you know, StatCast and 
um, Doppler radar and where guys are moving and all that. We just, we can just do a much better job than fielding percentage. That'd probably be mine now. That that would be the one I would get rid of. That was a sneaky good answer. I was really expecting a strong push towards either wins or RBIs, which you both, you, you referenced both of them to be fair, but that was a very good answer. I like that. That was good. The thing is you could still, you can still find some value in wins and RBI. I, I just, I can't sure. find values in, in error totals anymore, but yeah, there's always like, you know, if a guy has 200 wins in his career, I'm still learning something about him. He must've hung around for a while. He must've, mm. you know, he must've done some good in his career if he has 200 wins, but yeah, errors just don't move the needle for me anymore. Yeah, it's you are a to some degree larger, smaller in the middle. You're you're a product of your environment for those two statistics. Yeah, right? for, yeah. for RBIs yeah. or for wins, you need some help. Uh, not to say that right. you didn't earn it, but you need some help. So I'm 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 with you totally. Anthony, uh, hey man, this has been a lot of fun. We we love having you on the program. You, you lend us such a, a great national perspective, both from the from the Mariners, but also uh, throughout uh, the rest of the game. And so we we cannot thank you enough. And thanks for hopping on with us tonight. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. He is Anthony Castro-Vince. He's a writer for MLB.com. Kind enough to join us here on the Hot Stove Report. Well, baseball is just around the corner, and the best way to catch all the action of the Mariners this season is with a 2021 Flex membership. It's the most flexible plan in the game, allowing you to attend the games you want, sit where you want, and spend what you want, all with no deposit required. For more information on how you can become a Flex member, text 21 to 71532. We've got more of the Hot Stove Report coming right up. Uh, welcome back. Glad you're with us inside the Hot Stove Report. Hour number two, getting underway, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And uh, we're really excited to be joined by young Mariners reliever Joey Gerber, who is joining us from his car <laughs> in Peoria, Arizona. And uh, this is not a driving while talking situation. Joey is, is safely parked. Uh, Joey, tell us what, what's, go, what's going on with you exactly right now, man. Okay, so um, here's the deal. My in past experiences with Zoom, uh, I found out that my normal Wi-Fi and my data on my phone are usually like terrible. So the easiest solution is for me to just drive over to Starbucks and use their Wi-Fi so that everyone can hear me. I can see everyone. And so that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So just to be clear, you're you are. A young man with big league service time bumming Wi-Fi from a coffee shop. Yep, that's <laughs> you couldn't have put it any better. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, I, I I really hope that when you reach ten years of service time, that nothing's changed for you. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> still still going to Starbucks. Hey, nothing wrong with that though. Nothing wrong. Starbucks has quality Wi-Fi, so it works. Hey, uh, you're uh, you're in Peoria. Uh, the yep. sun is shining. Uh, we're hoping to see you down there at spring training when, when we arrive on the scene. Uh, what's been your offseason like so far? Um. Well, okay, so my main plan for this offseason was obviously, I mean, just can't get COVID. That's the main thing. You get COVID and you can't work out. Your, everything gets set back. Obviously, it's not good for society or your own health, too. So there's these things. But my main thing was I was throwing slower this past year than in 2019 in spring training in 2022 uh, so because of, you know, there's various reasons, mostly because of the whole quarantine situation. And so my main thing has just been lifting and trying to get back to, you know, where I normally am. And so I've been, you know, just working out at the Mariners complex since early October. And uh, that's pretty much been the entire off season. So it's been good. It's been good. I'm enjoying the weather here. I'm from Minnesota originally. So obviously that's not anywhere near as nice as 
Peoria, Arizona. <laughs> we we want we definitely want to talk to you about that. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, something you just said, how quarantine affected your velo is basically what you said in so many words. Can you explain that a little bit more? Right. So um, when I got sent back, um, the whole situation, everything shut down. Like you can't go to a gym or anything. My parents didn't want me to go to a gym either because like realistically they didn't want COVID. And obviously that's like the right move. So I had to work out, you know, in my basement and we don't really have weights. So it was kind of a makeshift (laughs) try to do what I can thing, but you can't really, it's, it was tough for me to maintain like my explosiveness. And I like, I throw, if you've ever seen me throw, like I throw really weird. Like I rely on being like just pure explosiveness, pure intent to like throw hard. And I kind of lost a little bit about a little bit of that. In addition to the fact that, I didn't really have a salt, like a consistent catch partner. So I was a lot of times I was just throwing against like a tree in my backyard or into a shed. And that's not really a good way to maintain your baseball playing abilities. So don't recommend that, but <laughs> that's what happened. It was, you know, it's 2020. You got to do what you got to do. I knew like no one knew what was going on. We were told like, go where you feel safest. And I mean, that was just back home for me. So that's what I did. You did pitch at the big leagues last year and you pitched well at the big leagues last year. How do you feel like the year went for you? I was ecstatic to get called up in the first place. I mean, I was never, that was the last thing I was going to guess is that they were going to call me up last year. Um, so I was, I mean, dude, I was just grateful for every time I got out there. I mean, it was, it was really, it was honestly a blast. It was kind of weird. Cause it was like, you know, it's 2020, there's all these protocols. So you it feels a little just different, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you're still playing baseball. And once you, once you get on the mound, it, fe- it felt like a game. So, I mean, I was just, you know, I dude, I was just having a blast going out there and competing every time, you know, it was, it was just fun to be playing baseball when, you know, we had that stretch where we couldn't, and we, I knew like a lot of people weren't getting the opportunity. So it was, it was good. It was good. <laughs> no complaints for me. We're talking with Mariners reliever Joey Gerber. Joey, did do you still have? Did you keep uh, something, some memento, uh, whether it be from your debut or your first season in general that uh, you plan on having forever? Uh, I bought a lot of jerseys that I wore <laughs> there. Um, I also I got my first like the first baseball I threw. Um, I, that got whoever was catching had maximum feel and decided to toss that to the the dugout so i got to keep that one and that's about i haven't really thought about that actually to be honest but i i mean i'm gonna keep everything that i've got that i've like kept kind of i i anticipate keeping forever like you know i mean it's first year in the bigs like that doesn't you don't get that back do you have a moment where at some point you were on the mound and you were looking around like here I am. I mean, is somebody you faced or a moment that it really hit home? Yeah, uh, honestly, yeah, it was my second outing. And so I came in, so I came in the uh, top half or not top half, just one inning and I got a guy out or something. And leading off the top half of the next inning was Mike Trout. And like he, as he was walking up, I'm kind of like, well, like, cause I always joked about in spring training about how I wanted to face Mike Trout. Cause I actually did want to face Mike Trout. Cause I thought it would be a really cool experience to face the best guy like on the planet. And like, he was just walking in the box. I'm like, 
wow, I'm facing Mike Trout right now. And it was, it was kind of weird because I didn't feel like it was a really like, oh my gosh, it's Mike Trout. It's just like, it felt very normal. Mike Trout was just another batter, but I'm also like, it's Mike Trout. So, <laughs> and then, I mean, I faced him and it went well. So I'm never going to forget that. And hopefully just never, I mean, I want to face him and just strike him out, but I also don't want to face him again. Cause I also got him out and it's hopefully, <laughs> I don't want to give up a hit to him either, but, but that was probably the, that was probably the moment that comes closest to what you're saying. It's just like, well, Joey, you're a, you're a Minnesota kid who, Pitched his college ball in the Big Ten at the University of Illinois. So, you, man, you have pitched in some cold weather your whole life. Yeah. What was what was high school baseball like for you? Oh, high school baseball. Well, okay, so I remember my first varsity outing when I was a sophomore. It was like 40 degrees with 30-mile-an-hour winds. And I'm pretty sure it was also like – it was either the end of April or early May. Um, and I remember it because my first two innings or I pitched either three or like, I think into the third first two innings went fine. Then we had like a 30 minute, like inning top half where we or bottom half, I guess we were home where we just like scored like nine or 10 runs. And then I let up about eight in the next half inning. Cause there's all that downtime. Cause I was freezing, but you know, I really didn't, I didn't pitch that much in high school. You know, I wasn't really that good in high school. I mean, I, I was I, like, I was better than a lot of guys. Like I threw, I threw a little harder than most people. Um, but like, at least in the high school season, I really didn't get that many opportunities to pitch. And then I pitched mostly in the summer and really Illinois just took a shot at me because I think, I mean, I don't know. You'd have to talk to them why they actually took me, but I think it was just because I was projectable. I was a tall, skinny, right-handed guy who could touch 90 and then I was a big boost to the team GPA because I was smart. <laughs> so, and they also, they needed pitchers. They lost like 10 or nine or 10 pitchers the year before. So they really needed people to fill in. So I, I think like they were the only school that ever offered me anything, which is pretty surprising because a lot of, you know, a lot of guys at this level, it's like, you know, they're high school all American or something like, you know, like a Jared Kalanick or somebody who is, you know, sixth overall pick. He's been good at baseball his whole life. So it's I baseball in Minnesota was, you know, I was more just like a normal player who just threw a little harder than everyone. Cause people don't throw that hard, you know, 90 in Texas, touching 90 in Texas, that's not doing anything, but like touching 90 in Minnesota, that's, that's kind of hard. So. So what happened at the beginning of your time in Illinois to now, what was, what happened? How did you get from there to here? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I, there's a lot of, like, I went into re, I, I, my freshman year, I, I really did bad. You can look at my stats. They're online. I like people at 400 off me. I threw six innings. Didn't really go that well. I was throwing 86, 88 with no real off speed. And I looked up, like, I'd been looking up stuff online since, you know, freshman year of, high school but like i looked more in depth for like what i needed to do to throw hard and i also so we had at illinois my freshman year we had a first rounder named cody sedlock who was he he was touching like 97 and stuff like that my biggest takeaway at least was he threw that hard because he was incredibly strong and really worked hard like in the weight room and just tried to throw hard and so 
basically I, that summer, I didn't even play for a summer ball team. You know, most guys in college, they go off to a summer league. They just sent me home and I just played in a local, it was at that point, it was a second tier town ball team with just some of my buddies from high school. And I was just the entire time I was just working to throw as hard as I could because I figured that was my best opportunity to get innings the next year. Cause our, we lost our bullpen that year. Like after my freshman year, like the back end of the bullpen left. So that was wide open. So I figured my best shot of getting in- innings was to throw as hard as I could. And hopefully I'd get a shot. And I came back in the fall throwing like 89, 91, 92. And then that spring I was about 90, 93. And then the next junior year, I just kept that same mentality because like it was working. I got the closer job that year and, you know, I was doing well enough. So same mentality, same idea, 93, 95, my junior year. And then like, I honestly, I really just same thing. It's like, it's really just knowing what I needed to work on at any given point in time and like just working as hard as I could to achieve that versus high school. I was more just like, I was just playing cause I was playing baseball, you know? So, and that, that's kind of what it is. Like I, I realized when I got to pro ball, like same thing, same mentality. Like I, I gained another realized at 95 in 2019 and then obviously there's that dip this past year, but then I also really realized how much I needed to work on a slider when I got to pro ball, especially locating it. So that was a big focus for me at, especially when I got to double a, but the biggest thing for me is just putting in the effort, like, and really knowing what I actually needed to work on to get better. That was, that's been the biggest thing for me because a lot of people, everyone works hard, but not everyone knows what they should be doing, or maybe they work on the wrong stuff or the, the timing's just off. So especially as you get higher up, everyone's working hard. So it's really just focusing, just trying to maximize your awareness for what needs to be done at any given point of time. More from Joey in just a moment. A quick reminder, the Mariners Community Tour presented by Root Sports is back in 2021 and going virtual. Tune into public live streams featuring Mariners players and broadcasters as they discuss their off-seasons and the outlook of the season ahead. For more information, dates, and times, visit mariners.com slash community tour. But good stuff with Joey Gerber. When we come back on the Hot Stove Report, we're going to talk about Joey away from the field a little bit. That's straight ahead on the Alaska Airlines Mariners Radio Network. Good fastball, hard slider. Here's a swing and a ground ball to short. Charging is Crawford. One hands it on the run. The throw to first, and it's in time to get Trout. So in his first two appearances in the big leagues, Joey Gerber has retired a a couple of future Hall of Famers a couple of days ago it was Pools, and now he gets Mike Trout to ground out to short to J.P. Crawford here in the top of the fifth inning. What a thrill for that kid from Maple Grove, Minnesota. Glad you're with us once again on the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined right now once again by Mariners reliever Joey Gerber. Joey, we got to... We got to talk Twitter, man. <laughs> yeah. Can we, can we talk Twitter? You sound excited. Oh, of course. Okay. Would you rather talk Twitter or sliders? You tell me. Uh, you know, let's do Twitter. <laughs> All right. First, we got a lot to break down here, Joey. Okay. First, I want to know uh, the inspiration behind your handle at Gerb underscore Nation. I mean, this is a big, this is a big handle, man. That's a lot to live up to, Gerb Nation. Yeah. So. My Twitter, I didn't have social media um, at all going into college. And, you know, I really can't remember exactly, like, who started it. But somebody started calling me Gerb Nation as a joke because my personality, like, I, 
I'm just kind of slow to open up like once like in person, at least like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, especially in college, college too. I was like I was shy and stuff. And so it was like the opposite personality of me was Gerb nation. And so they, somebody just started calling me as a joke. And so my Twitter started out like low key as a joke, like the fact that I even had a Twitter account. And so I did Gerb nation as my Twitter handle. So that's, that's now, come, now, now you understand why somebody listening right now, even if they're hearing you for the very first time, they, they have a hard time believing that you're shy and have a hard time like <laughs> talking with people. Okay. Well, I'm not like shy. I was in college, I guess you could say like at least initially freshman year, like new environment, whatever, but it's more, I'm, I'm the kind of person where especially like, cause when I'm on Twitter, it's just like, I'm joking. So I'm like, basically almost like okay what would it, is this just generically funny like something i'd say with my friends versus i try to be i'm not i know i'm not but like i try to be semi-normal if i first meet you <laughs> so the only way i can do that is by just not talking as much so it's i don't people who know me would understand this like they'd probably be better in explaining this than i am i don't know but it's that's i'm not i'm not this guy who's like over the top just this you know i'm not gonna fill up the room and with like my outgoingness i guess i don't, <laughs> I don't know i think i think i'm not dude, loud you're, you're doing a great job at being semi-normal to put it in words oh, thanks yeah. thanks i'm trying i'm also doing a great job of being me i'm sure but <laughs> so what, what gary and i have done joey is we have we've spent our free time scrolling through the archive of your tweets oh i love this yeah and we're just gonna kind of and, and gary and i have not gone back and forth we don't know what one another have chosen but we're just gonna kind of we want to get a look inside joey's mind so we're just gonna kind of throw some of these at you want to know hey man what was going on <laughs> sure no i'm okay. up for this so i'm gonna i'm gonna start things off once again it's at gerb underscore nation if you want to follow joey Joey Gerber is our guest, Mariners reliever. All right, December 10th, 2020, Joey. And I quote, melons are another highly overrated food. Yeah. What you got against melons, man? Dude, they just don't taste that good. You always get them. You get a fruit cup, right? Like at a restaurant or something. Like they always got these melons that are just not good. They're giving you the worst they've got. And in general... <laughs> melons like you compare them to other like people really love watermelons i don't really like watermelons that much I've, they're always kind of watered down like they don't have much taste i don't like the texture it's like this crunchiness that doesn't it's like not ice but it's not i don't i don't know it's it's just not doing it for me but people like watermelons and other melons like you know honeydew cantaloupe people like these apparently because people are eating them and i just don't like them so you know, I'm letting the world know it's not for me. They're overrated. They are the filler of the fruit world. I will give you that. Okay. Okay. We can agree on this. At yeah, least. absolutely. All right, Gary, uh, you're up. August 22nd, 2020. Chairs need to be comfortable, but not too comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, gosh, how, where did this one come from? Um, I want to say... I was sitting in a comfortable chair and I really didn't want to get up. 
so I was I was just thinking like like this is just too comfortable because I need to be doing stuff right now and I don't want to leave this chair. So I'm pretty sure that's what like most of my tweets are like this. It's like I just think of something and it's like, okay, five seconds later I'll just tweet it out or I just make some dumb connection in my brain for some joke and just it kind of comes out. That's that's most of the time what's going on in my Twitter. Like what's going on in my brain too. So so you know I I, I also naturally don't really need to filter much because I don't like there's really not much in my brain going on that's like going to be appropriate to put in the <laughs> so like <laughs> what you like I'm very as you can tell I'm just very transparent very like this this is what it is you know like that's just kind of me so that's also my Twitter you know uh, Joey during the quarantine period where you were throwing a ball into a barn or a shed or off of a tree uh, I, I was eating just copious amounts of eggs, like sure. eggs. It was, oh, just, no, it, was, it was just a, it was just a steady egg, truthfully eggs and chips. It was well-balanced. Um, <laughs> De- December 6th, 2020 after today, the apartment now has less than 100 eggs in the fridge might be time to go to the store. Are you also Joey on a heavy egg diet? Yeah, so I have about I have, I have like five eggs for breakfast. I'd say, um, like you know, every day. Um, I mean, it's a joke. Obviously, I don't need to go to the store to get more eggs when we got a hundred in the apartment. But my roommate also he has a lot of eggs. Uh, so he was he made the point. He's like, we're we're gonna be under a hundred eggs because he's he's kind of the same as me. Like he jokes around just stupidly like I do and. Like he's gonna be like, oh, we're we're almost under a hundred eggs. I'm like, that's not good. We might need to go to the store. And so, it's you know, it's just another everyday experience for. Are are you buying? I assume you're buying the bulk two dozen cards. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you know, eighteen. He actually, he does the grocery shopping for the eggs specifically. And <laughs> like. <laughs> and they, there's i want to say there's like 60 or something in the little container oh man yeah like there's a lot i've never actually i don't even know where he's getting these eggs because i've <laughs> never seen anywhere where eggs come in things like this but that's why he's getting them now we we want to talk to you about i think in fact we when you came out with this tweet in the middle of august we actually put it up on the little score bug on a root telecast because it was so topical and so well-phrased. This was in light of the Fernando Tatis Jr. Grand Slam uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that okay. uh, upset some people in Arlington. And, you know, the, for those who don't recall, the, the score was uh, a little out of hand in favor of the Padres and it was a 3-0 count, and Tatis swung, and he crushed a home run, which happened to be a grand slam. And the Rangers took exception to it. And uh, Joey said, I think hitters should take 3-0 and when their team is ahead by a lot. They should also take 0-2 on BP fastballs when their team is down by a lot. Hitters on the opposing team should never swing the bat at a hittable pitch, <laughs> which was – a really good tweet from anybody, but it was specifically and especially great by someone who makes a living uh, pitching in Major League <laughs> Baseball. So I, I, I am curious, just when when you saw all the hoopla that came along with that and what it brought on, and we talk all the time about how 
great hands this game is in with this young generation of players, this uber talented class of young players that you are now joining. Uh, what, what was it? I, I, I know your answer, but what were your overall uh, impressions and thoughts when, when that went down? You know, I mean, in general, like I don't get like any other sport, everyone's okay with celebration and people, you know, just generically being happy. So like, like, you know, soccer celebrations, for instance, are like way over the top, but no one's got a problem with that. So like, I don't have a problem with people celebrating in general. Now he swings at a three Oh fastball. Like, look, you never know when a team's going to come back. I mean, the game's unpredictable. So like, and especially with like how players are evaluated, like, you don't, you get evaluated on every single pitch. Like you can't just like take a pitch off. That's not, there's no, that's just not a thing. So like, he, you make a bad pitch on 3-0 and he hits it like, you know, tough. But on the other hand, I always want to be successful as a pitcher. And the easiest way to be successful is to just pipe fastballs in there and just have hitters not swing. So if they just never swing at anything, <laughs> I will strike out everyone and that would be wonderful. So that's at, at the end of the day, that's really what should happen is hitters should just never swing. <laughs> if it's a, a terrible pitch, then obviously you swing the bat. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't. The whole I, I don't know. There's all these unwritten rules that just it's like really like I mean it's a game, you know, just have fun and you know it's also competition. If you make a bad pitch, like you know, he's not if he if he hits that same pitch and grounds out, like no one's saying anything. It's just like that's just a dumb swing on his part because it was three zero and he grounded out. I mean that's that's my take at least. I don't know. Joey, what are you most looking forward to in this upcoming season? Who I'm most looking forward to. That's a, that's a really good dude. I just love playing baseball. So like just being, being healthy and playing at my peak, I would love, I would love to be in the big leagues with like fans in the stadium. Cause obviously like I've never been in the big leagues with fans at the stadium. So I think that would be a really cool experience. Cause when I was in even spring training was really something like when we went to the who were we playing i think with the diamondbacks at a talking stick that like they had you know ten thousand people or the dodgers had ten thousand people on a friday night uh at camelback ranch and like that was really cool for me and that's you know ten thousand people versus forty thousand people and i'm the kind of guy i thrive off you know the energy in the stadium because i'm a big adrenaline guy when I'm on the mound, I, I, it just amps me up. So, I mean, you can't tell that. Cause like I, when I'm on the mound, I'm like all serious looking cause I'm just super focused on what I'm doing, but I really do love, like it really provides me with some energy. So I would love to pitch in a stadium. that has got like 40,000 people. I think that would be really cool. Boy, you're not alone, man. We're all hoping for that day at some point, uh, not too far down the road. Joy, this has been awesome, man. It's so great to catch up with you a little bit. We're glad you're enjoying some sun down there in Peoria, and we can't wait to see you down at spring training sometime soon. Thanks for hopping on with us tonight. Hey, thanks, guys. Hope it was uh, at least sort of entertaining for you guys and all the listeners out there. To say the least, to say the least. There is Joey Gerber, Mariners reliever. Well, fans, visit the Mariners team store to enter to win a chance for a virtual meet and greet with Mariners pitcher Justin Dunn or top prospect Julio Rodriguez. Stop by any of the four stores located at 4th and Stewart, Alderwood Mall, South Center, or the flagship store at T-Mobile Park now through Wednesday to enter for store hours. Visit mariners.com slash team store. We've got more hot stove coming right up. Hot stove report rolls along Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, and we are pleased, as we always are, to welcome in Shannon Dreher to the program. Shannon, we uh, 
We just heard from Joey Gerber, which just give me some, just give me a little bit of Charlie Furbush flashbacks in some ways. I mean, these are these are two guys cut from a similar cloth. I know you've had some fun interactions with Joby, Joey in his rookie season. Joey was the last one-on-one -on -one interview that I did before everything shut down in Peoria. And I had to, it was one of the ones where the media staff had to go in and pull him out of, of the locker room. And we had to go and stand six feet apart, which isn't a problem when you're like four foot 11 and but me and he's what, six, three or whatever. It's naturally the distance was there, but he had me laughing so hard. And it was the funniest thing because he's one of those guys that you hear uh, or you see, you see him on paper before you see him in person. You saw his numbers. You saw he had a great season a couple of years ago. And he came out and he's like, you really want to talk to me? And I'm like, yes. And, and he said, nobody ever talks to me. And when he got going, he was just a riot. And then he would just keep apologizing and say, I'm sorry, I don't do these very often. This is my first interview. And I laughed. I said, me too. But he was just a guy that was a lot of fun to talk to. He looks at things a little bit differently. He's not afraid to have fun. And not a bad arm either. Yeah, we enjoyed him uh, trying to convince us that he is shy, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess, hey, uh, maybe in some circles, maybe, but certainly not to us, which we appreciate. Shy and semi-normal. Yeah, semi is exactly right. Semi-normal, which I also enjoyed. Well, Gary and Shannon, uh, exciting stuff on the prospect front for the Mariners, as it has been from some time. Baseball America just uh, the other day came out with their top 100 prospects for the 2021 season. And it's all, it's incredible. It's incredible what Jerry DePoto and Andy McKay and company have been able to do to retool this farm system. I was trying to think, maybe one of you guys can remember more accurately. It, it, was, it wasn't that long ago, but it's long enough ago that I'm foggy on it, that there was a time where the Mariners had either none or one top 100 prospect. And I feel like it was Alex Jackson. Is any of that ringing true? Yeah, there were, they were really kind of up and down and then really, really down for a couple of years. And uh, that was actually, the photo was here because he was trying to build up the big league club at, at the time. And so that really, um, you know, hurt the minor league club. But um, I've got actually in front of me, because this is something that I have tracked every year, but the prospect three-year snips or clipped them out of uh, of, uh, of the different years when they came along. 2016, your top prospect was Alex Jackson. Uh, Edwin Diaz followed. Drew Jackson was number three. Uh, then you had Tyler O'Neill, Luis Gohara, DJ Peterson, Nick Neidert, Boog Powell in your top 10. Oh. Braden Bishop, Andrew Moore. The next year, Kyle Lewis was in there, and that looked a little bit better there. And then it started going more in that direction. But um, you, you had a, a number of names that uh, would be rather well down the list uh, back then and uh, it was tough and basically it was a matter of kind of taking their number one pick and putting them on the hundred it's amazing to think about when you look at this current list and there's five mariners in the top 100 and i you know we just had this conversation with anthony castrovance not too long ago in this episode and we were talking about kind of how the division is shaping up not only for this next year but kind of the next three years and how a couple of teams, you know, Houston and Oakland, you're not exactly sure what's going to happen there the next couple of years. It's, it's interesting when you look at this list that the Mariners have as many top 100 prospects as the rest of the division combined. Five Mariners and five for the rest of the AL West, which I, I think is pretty interesting in context of this conversation. So is that a good thing, Gary? I, I would say yes. <laughs> if you're a Mariner fan, I would say that's a good thing. <laughs> It's, inc yeah. it's, inc 
it's incredible. <laughs> Astros, Athletics, and Rangers each have one. The Angels have two, and the Mariners have five. Some quick stats, because everybody's wondering, well, who are the five? We've got a pretty good idea. I mean, we're, we were just saying that not long ago, the Mariners had one in the top 100. They now have two in the top five. Uh, when you look at Julio Rodriguez checking in at number three, and Jared Kelnick at number four, Logan Gilbert, 35, Emerson Hancock, 57. And Noel V. Marte, the young shortstop, at 73. So the Mariners have five in the top 100 and a two in a, just the top five. I mean, it, it is really incredible, the, the depth that they have built, but then also, as we've talked about on the program in weeks past, the, the high end, the high ceiling, the very top-end talent, and guys like Julio and Kalnick and even and Logan Gilbert, and, and the list goes on. Right, and you talk about those that didn't make that list, and that includes George Kirby and Taylor Trammell, but they're right there. So yeah, I think you know, I, I think we are getting a little more accustomed to seeing the, the the bigger number of prospects on the top 100, and now I think what you want to look for is that depth. You want to be able to do what the Padres did a month ago, and that takes having you know large numbers of prospects, not just at the top, and we're starting to see it fill in throughout the organization. One of your conversations last week that I found really interesting was with Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. And he talked about, you know, when you're looking at the plan and what they're trying to do, and you're looking at the clubs and where your window is, you do have to keep an eye on those other clubs. And the one thing that I took a look at this week, and these rankings will change as players you know, graduate from them and as there's another draft, but uh, the Astros and the A's picked up top 10 international picks and big picks. These are the ones where they basically spent their entire budget or near their entire budgets on these two players. And, you know, that's one way to boost up your, your farm system. And I think these are players that are worth keeping an eye on, but they're just one player to each organization. So uh, I think that when you put it into context of the rest of the division, which ultimately is what is most important, you have to win your division first, or you, you know, it, you, there are wild cards, but the goal is to win the division. Uh, They're head and shoulders above in, in farm system rankings right now. You know, one of the things I really enjoyed about looking at this top 100, I, I've had fun with the Kelnick Julio conversation when we talk to evaluators and they kind of give us their take on how they ranked Julio over Kelnick, or in some cases, Kelnick or over Julio. And it's funny, even in this scenario where you see the every, everyone ranked, right? And even in this scenario, they're, all, they're not separated at all. You have three and four. They're side by side <laughs> in this as well. They just can't be separated, which is great. And so, hi. I mean, it was a little bit yeah. jarring when I click, clicked on it this morning. It was like, my gosh, really? The two right at the top, two in the top five, that was even though we've been following them all along, that was pretty exciting. And then when we get into the season, I'm going to be so interested to see Logan Gilbert. I mean, we heard the reports on him, saw him a little bit down at the alternate site, but uh, he just got stronger and he kind of made up for lost time and not so much in, in being able to, to go out there and play in actual games, but he lost time off the top when he had uh, the mono. But I mean, from everything I hear, it sounds like he's ready to go. He's polished and he's also matured a little bit, aged a little bit more, gotten a little bit bigger, gotten a little bit stronger. I can't wait to see that. And then Emerson Hancock, it's exciting to have a prospect, a pitching prospect uh, to debut that high on the list because a lot of the times when you're looking at the Mariners pitchers, uh, they aren't that obvious guy. Usually it's a guy that's a little bit more of a command guy and Emerson Hancock is a guy. He is the guy, you know, as far as that type of pitcher and top of the rotation 
projecting type pitchers. So that was a lot of fun to see. And Noel Marte at just 19, uh, moving his way up a little bit already in that list. That's exciting as well. And then kind of a wild card. who I don't think we're going to see on a, a list for a while, but have you seen any of um, Sam Carlson's workout pictures? Yeah, Sam is, you know, we, we last <laughs> saw Sam at Target Field with uh, a pair of Ray-Bans and a white undershirt on looking like a uh, pretty well put together high school senior. And now he's like a full-fledged man. It's uh, we, he's, been, he's been in the shadows for a long time because of surgery, but man, he's, he's looking like the real deal, which of course he was expected to be as a second round pick. He was, but with such a you know catastrophic injury and, and taking you know the, the ups and downs and coming back, you, you didn't see that. But it's been a lot of fun getting his story and not just getting his story, but seeing that he's confident enough to put that stuff out there. He's putting a lot of those videos out and doing the social media thing with it. And it's like, hey, guys, don't forget about me here. So that was a lot of fun to watch. And then also hearing really good things about Gilbert, who's not on the list as well. And one of the things, well, the guys, you know, couldn't play and, and, and organize games this year, the younger guys, and some didn't even get to the alternate site. Uh, a good point has been made by a lot of people in player development. They had a full year to develop to their bodies, to their pitches. You know, if you're going to add a pitch, now's the time to do it. If you're going to try and add velocity, now is the time to do it. And you hear about players um, like Kirby, who actually was down on the site, but also like Wyatt Mills, who came in and was completely different and the velocity you know the dramatic increase on in what he was doing it's going to be really interesting to see these guys and what this list is going to look like mid-season because let's not forget the list that they're putting out here right now a lot of these guys really weren't seen very much if, and if at all so it'll be really interesting to see where they go we know we've had the conversations we've seen a little bit about the mariners who are on there i'm interested to see how this list evolves as more is known about others shannon as always it's good to hear your voice good to catch up with you a little bit too. There she is, Shannon Dreyer. Well, fans visit the Mariners team store to enter to win a chance for a virtual meet and greet with Mariners pitcher Justin Dunn or top prospect. Just talking about him, Julio Rodriguez. Stopped by any of the four stores located at Fourth and Stewart, Alderwood Mall, South Center, or the flagship store at T-Mobile Park. Now through Wednesday to enter for store hours, visit Mariners.com/slash/teamstore. More coming up on the Hot Stove Report right after this. We wrap things up on the hot stove report, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And maybe you did not know this, but this wraps up day one of the Mariners virtual baseball bash. It runs today through Saturday, January 30th, 60 Mariners, 60 events. It's a two week series of online events and activities across all Mariners digital platforms. This is like nothing that has ever been done. It's truly incredible. And Gary, uh, to give us an example of one of the incredibly <laughs> unique things that we can take part of and witness, uh, tell us what you'll be doing tomorrow with Carson Vitale, Mariners field coordinator. I'm really excited about this. I think this is going to be amazing. So Carson Vitale, he's a runner, like no joke. He His goal this upcoming season, and he's doing it for charity, and we'll talk to him about it coming up on Instagram tomorrow. I'm going to have a conversation with Carson while he's running. His goal this next year is to run over 3,500 miles, 10 miles a day this year. And so I'm going to talk to him while he's running because unlike me and most people, he can hold a conversation while running. So as he's tooling around Seattle, uh, we'll be taking your questions and we'll be talking to Carson, which is great. He's a great guy. And this is, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be, we're going to, it will be that, I can't wait for that. We are going to have so many Mariners personalities take part of this over the next two weeks. Some big name guys 
J.P. Crawford, Marco Gonzalez, Kyle Seeger, uh, two guys down on the farm system like uh, Sam Delaplane, Mariners pitcher, Mariners minor league pitcher. We're doing a Twitter takeover tomorrow. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You can catch the full lineup, the full schedule of players and events and which platforms they'll be on, mariners.com slash baseball bash. This is truly one of a kind, and we're so excited that this is wrapping up day one of this two-week ongoing event. That just about does it for tonight's Hot Stove Report. We had a series of wonderful guests on the program tonight, Gary, including Anthony Castrovince, writer for MLB.com, who explains to us how he feels this Mariners team is shaping up over the next two to three years. When you build it the right way, the way they have, when you do create a strong farm system and have financial flexibility to go with it, you know, it might not be in 2021, but that's certainly a team that, you know, I, I feel pretty bullish on their long-term projection, you know, long-term being, you know, the next two to three years. We also heard from Joey Gerber, who is really excited about pitching in front of people this upcoming season. I'm the kind of guy I thrive off, you know, the energy in the stadium. Cause I'm a big adrenaline guy when I'm on the mound. I, I, it just amps me up. So, I mean, you can't tell that because, like, I when I'm on the mound, I'm like all serious looking because I'm just super focused on what I'm doing. But I really do love, like, it really provides me with some energy. So I would love to pitch in a stadium that's got like forty thousand people. I think that would be really cool. For the first time in Hot Stove Report history, we had two guests on simultaneously: Justice Sheffield and pitching coach Pete Woodworth. And Woody described to us how he sees the Mariners in the future. The the flood is coming. Um, yeah. We've, we've kind of been, been building the, the foundation in, in the player development arena um, in the minor leagues these past four or five years. Um, and now, you know, we're starting to see the, the players that we've drafted, you know, taking over that, that mold and, and building on top of that. Our thanks to all of the wonderful guests who joined the program tonight. And Gary, as always, if folks miss part of the Hot Stove Report or they just simply want to hear some of it again, where can they listen to it tomorrow? You can find it at Mariner's Pod. With a new logo. I'm thinking about getting <laughs> Mariner's Pod. At Mariner's Pod. There is a new the logo. The will be up. Very fancy, very fancy logo. It is up to, uploaded with the latest Hot Stove Report the morning following. Thanks to the hard work from our very own Gary Hill. So for Gary Hill, who all who made this one possible tonight, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.